When I was in college, there was this quarry, this rock quarry that had long since been abandoned that after the long hot summer, when we'd get back together in September, all the guys would go out to the quarry and it had these cliffs and it kind of filled up with water over time and the cliffs were about 30 feet high into the water and we'd go out there as manly men and we'd stand at the edge and stare down and then one at a time we'd leap over the edge into the water and usually you know there's a couple guys at the top who are like I'm not doing it and then you know as the guys who land in the water call them various unmanly names everybody ends up diving in the water and so in September and early October every chance we'd get to break away from college when we weren't studying all the time we would go and we would go to the quarry and we would swim now uh, my senior year I was dating this amazing young lady um, who would one day be my wife, and I was going to take her to the quarry. And so the first warm day that we got, the spring of my senior year, I was like, Shelly, come on, we're going to go to the quarry. I'm going to show you this really cool place. And I knew that when we got to the quarry, I could be really manly and dive off the big cliff in front of this girl, and she'd think I was so cool. And, and you know, our relationship couldn't help but get better after that, right? So... We go out to the quarry, and, and instead of the 30-foot cliff, we start off on this, they had like a halfway down this rock ledge that stuck way out over the water. It was really cool. And so, um, so I step over, and I smile, and I dive off into the water. Now, as we hold me in the air here for a second while I explain that, I'd only ever been to the quarry in the fall after the long, hot summer. I'd never been to the quarry in the spring, and... and to the best of my knowledge, the only way that there was really water in the quarry in the spring was because the snow had melted. And, and the water that I was diving into was 12 degrees. Uh, it was probably a thin sheet of ice over it that I hadn't noticed. But as I, as I hit the water, honest to goodness, it was one of those painful experiences. And you know that if you've ever gone to the coast, really, or gone to three pools. You know that what it's like when it just hurts and... and Oh, my body just froze. My eyes wouldn't close, and I go under the water. And as I'm coming back up to the surface, I realize that the words that I speak to my friend there on the rock are going to affect my relationship with her for quite a while. <laughs> and as I come to the surface, I have this feeling of, I got to pull it together. So I break through the water, and I say... It is awesome in here. You are going to love this. It is so good. Come on in. And she's staring. Are you sure? You don't look great. My body's like a giant goose pimple. I'm like, it's great. And so she takes a step back or two, and then she just runs, and she jumps in the water. And as her toes hit the water, she gets this look. And she just walks across the surface of the water. No, she splashes into the water, and when she comes out of the water, she has words for me that affect our relationship, and I apologize deeply. Words are powerful. Words, the ones spoken around us and spoken over us and spoken to us, affect the things that we do and affect who we are. They affect the things that we, that we dive into. Words are powerful. I mean, you don't have to look far in Scripture to find out that words are powerful. In the first chapter of Genesis, we see God speaking the world into being. 
So many times in Genesis chapter 1, it says, and God said, and then it happened. And we know that in our own lives, words are powerful. Remember as a kid when you used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Right. That's not the case, and we know that. Words impact lives. Words have the power to encourage or to discourage. Words have the power to build up or to tear down, to give life and to take away life. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 18.21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death. The things that we say are hugely important. We're continuing on in our Vintage Family series, and we've talked about marriages that last and spiritual conversations that families have. And last week, Mike talked to us about peacemaking. And this week, we're going to talk about words. We're going to talk about speaking blessings and what it means to speak blessings to those around us, and in particular, what it means to speak blessings to our family members, to our children. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, and you can turn there. And this is a familiar passage. This is the story uh, when the children come to Jesus. And it's a story that we've probably seen a lot of pictures of. If you look up on the screen, there's this lovely scene of Jesus in his robe and children not in robes and some not even paying attention on the bottom left there. Uh, and a lamb, just because that's what you do in a Jesus picture. And there's another picture that I... That, I'll I'll be honest, this one cracks me up. This is like Jesus and the children of the world. Um, But I just laugh at that poor Eskimo child on his lap. I don't don't know, sweating in the seal skin, whatever that thing is. It's a great picture. But here's, here's what I feel like. If Jesus was hanging out with the kids, this is the picture right here. Can't you see it? Jesus playing soccer with the kids, albeit he wouldn't be in a robe. And he wouldn't have a translucent cross that followed him wherever he went. Right? But so, you, so get this picture. Jesus is, is hanging out. He's sitting somewhere with his disciples. So Jesus is there, and his disciples are around. And in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13, it says, One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. So Jesus is hanging out, and the parents start to come, and they're bringing their children, probably too small to bring themselves. So the parents are bringing the children to Jesus to touch them and to bless them. And it says the disciples scolded them. They rebuked them. They spoke harshly to them. Really? We're not here to babysit your children. The big guy doesn't have time for the little people. That's why he's the big guy. We've had a hard day. We've been working like crazy. We were up all night. We've been walking. Mm, Sorry. I mean, children, they're noisy, and their noses run a lot. And we're fresh out of fruit snacks, so be off with ye. Right? The disciples are are like protecting Jesus from the children because children can just be out of hand. But Jesus sees this. Jesus, it says, when he saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. The kingdom of God belongs to these who are like these children. God's kingdom belongs to people who are like these children, who are humble 
and, and meek. You don't have a lot of prejudice yet. Who are noisy and messy. And who are teachable and who are trusting. Who have the faith like a child. That's who the kingdom of God belongs to. People who are like that. And so it says in verse 16, it says, He took the children in his arms. And the word picture here really is it's like gathering them like a, like a bear hug, pulling them into his chest. He took the children in his arms, and he placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. And this is one of those passages where I want to know what the next verse really is. I, I want there to be one more verse to this story, because I want to know what it is that Jesus said. And so as he grabs the children and as he pulls them close and he places his hands on their heads, I want to hear him say, like, I bless you with courage. Or I bless you with a deep faith in your life. Or I bless you with joy. I, I want to know what he says because these are the things that I want to speak over my children. I want to know what those blessings are because I think a lot of times we shy away from blessing. A lot of times we feel like there is just something so mysterious about blessing or something so prophetic about blessing that it's not for us. It's like a biblical thing and it's not really for us to speak blessing over our children. And and there are instances in scripture. There's in Genesis 27 is probably one that we're familiar with. It's the story of the patriarch Isaac. And as he's getting older and uh, his health is failing and his eyesight is failing and it's time for him to just pass on this blessing to his oldest son, something that would have been coveted. But his oldest son Esau is out and his youngest son Jacob's trying to steal the blessing so he dresses up in Esau's clothes and he comes in and his dad can't see real well and so he kind of launches into this blessing and he says, my son smells like a field, right? And I... That's, I don't, is that good or bad? I don't know. I've been in some fields that's bad. but um, He says this, though. He says, May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Those that you bless will be blessed and those that you curse will be cursed. And he gives them this blessing. And this is huge. This is prophetic. This is a big deal. And this is like the course of the nation of Israel coming out here. And that's big and prophetic, and we look at that and we're like, well, that's what blessing is. That's... But there's so many other parts to blessing in the Bible that it's really a practice we should be participating in. Because we need to hear that, and we need to speak that, and our children need to have us speak blessing over them so that they can be who God has created them to be. Think about children for a minute. Think about... Children and children, you don't have to teach kids to dance, right? If you've had kids, you know they dance. If it's 70 disco, they're dancing. If it's 90s techno, they're dancing. The kids are just dancing. The music comes on, right? My youngest daughter, she still does the robot. It's awesome, right? You don't have to teach kids to dance. They, they dance. Kids sing. Kids they're artists. All kids create, and they have this in them to just draw and paint and create things. But eventually, somewhere along the line, those things get taken away from them. Somewhere along the line, somebody says to them, wow, your voice isn't that good. Or, I wouldn't dance like that in public. Or, really, that's, that's art? Picasso, I read this quote, he says, every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up. 
with the understanding that, that kids kind of grow into the words that are spoken around them and over them. And they take on the characteristic of those words. So we need to be very careful about the words that we speak over our children and the words that we speak to our children. And so I want to look at some distinctives about biblical blessing, some characteristics of biblical blessing that we see in Scripture. And I want to talk about three of those, things that we can kind of put our hands around so that we can begin this. So whether you're a parent or a grandparent or going to be a parent or you're a child that someday has a parent, um, so I'm trying to speak to everybody. So we need to get into the habit of speaking blessing. So the first thing that we see is, is meaningful touch. Why were the parents bringing the children to Jesus? It says they were bringing them so he could touch them and bless them. And then in verse 16, it says he took them in his arms and he placed his hands on their heads. And we see this pattern throughout scripture. In Genesis 27, with the story I just told you about Isaac and Jacob, there was a hug and a kiss involved. At the end of Genesis, we see Jacob laying his hands on his grandchildren's heads and blessing them because touch Touch speaks of value. Meaningful touch speaks of comfort. Meaningful touch speaks of acceptance. And you know your children want to be near you, and especially if they've had a bad dream, a nightmare, something like that. They want to run, and they want to be in your arms. Right? Meaningful touch. And I know it gets more difficult as your children get older. One of my favorite things is when, as a student ministry, we go on a missions trip, and we're all in the parking lot waiting to get on the bus, and uh, it's time to get on the bus. We prayed, we're ready to load, and so I say, all right, kids, hug your parents. And there's always middle or high school guys who are like, in front of my friends? Right? And the parents go up, and the high school guy's like this. And that's about the extent of the hug for the high school guy. And I know it's difficult, but meaningful touch is a part of scriptural blessing. And we know that it's important. And we've heard there's been all kinds of studies that show how important meaningful touch is. And, and so I read a, stu- a study this past week about doctors where they studied if doctors go into a room and if they sit on the edge of the bed and place a hand on the shoulder or on the arm of a patient versus the doctor that just stands there. The ones that sit on the bed and have a hand on the patient are the ones that are viewed as more intelligent more caring, and had spent more time. It's just, just a fact. Another study out of UCLA said that to be a healthy man or woman, you need eight to ten meaningful touches every day. To be as healthy as you can be, you need eight to ten meaningful touches every day. Right? So some of you have just done this. I can see it. You know? You're like patting the person next to you. If you just patted the person next to you and counted to eight, that does not count. (laughs) Doesn't do it. I appreciate the effort, but we can go further than that. Comfort, security, acceptance conveyed in meaningful touch. That's the first one. The second one seems like a no-brainer. But I just want to say it anyway so that we hear it. Blessings need to be spoken. You need to speak these things to each other. You need to speak these things over your children. Because I know a lot of times we think that, well, my kids know that I love them by my presence. My presence speaks volumes. 
But I'll tell you what, the volumes are incomplete unless you're speaking the words, right? The scripture doesn't say that Jesus grabbed the children and he pulled them in close and he gave them the thumbs up. And then he did that wink and click thing. A couple pistols. And sent them on their way. Doesn't say that, right? That's... It's not blessing, is it? Blessing needs to be spoken. And I, if I can speak to the, to the fathers in the room for just a minute. Dads, there's this strong, silent type. There's this stoic, there's this man of few words image that a lot of dads have. And I understand that. My own father was strong and silent. But when he spoke, I remembered what he said. And so we need to speak these things because your kids will remember your presence, yes, but they will remember your words. They will remember the things that you say. And so not only is it meaningful touch, it is a spoken message. And then we get to the heart of blessing. This third thing is to place a high value upon the person. To place a high value upon the person that you are speaking blessing to. And this, this is really the heart of what blessing is. And so as I was praying about this, I was like, okay, God, to place a high value, what does that mean? What are some things, what are some handles that we can have? What are some things that we can say? And I felt like God was saying, listen, the things that I have spoken over you as a father to a child are the things for you to speak as a father to a child. As scripture says in 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are children of God. So the things that God has spoken over us are the things that we can speak over our children. And that should be a double blessing, right? It should be a blessing of, wow, these are the things that God speaks over me. Amazing. And hey, these are some things I can speak over my kids. So I would say a couple things to you. I would say first, speak the blessing of the name of the Lord over your children. The priestly blessing that we find in Numbers chapter 6 in the Old Testament, God says, this is how I want you to bless the people. Listen to this. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. And then he says, by this way, you will place my name on the nation. Understanding that it is God, God who does it. God who blesses. If if it comes strictly from me, it's just words and wishes. If it comes from God, it is solid and it has substance. And so speak the name of the Lord over your children with the understanding that it's in his name that we pray. It's in his name that we are saved. And it's in his name that every knee will bow and tongue will confess. And so speak the name of the Lord over your children. Don't avoid spiritual conversations. Pray the name. Speak the name. Make sure they understand the name. Make sure they understand that what you are speaking is possible because of the name of God. Because of the name of Jesus. The blessings come in the name of the Lord. I would say speak the blessing of unconditional love. Speak the blessing of unconditional love to your children because that's what God has spoken over us. Colossians chapter three, it says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's masterpiece. Psalm 139 says that God was intimately involved in our creation, that he thinks about us all the time. Do you understand that? God thinks about you all the time. In the psalm it says, if I were to try and count the times that God thinks about me, they would outnumber the grains of sand. One of my favorites is Zephaniah 3.17. It says, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will rejoice over you with singing. That God rejoices over you with singing. Like, if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. And he would show other people. If he has a big mantle, your picture's on it. That awkward one from middle school when you had braces and your collar was out to here. Hair sticking up. God loves you unconditionally, and God wants you to speak that blessing over your children. Each evening, I have a ritual that I do. I have two girls, an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old. A lot of people, when they talk about their children or grandchildren, they show pictures. I have had these uh, 3D mock-ups made up for you, so they're very lifelike. You'll be able to see them right here. Yes. Yes. This is my daughter, Hannah. This is my daughter, Grace. And uh, every evening, as we pray, and then after we finish praying, I say, I am so glad to be your dad. And what do you say? We're wild to be your child. Right. (laughs) We're wild to be your child. And then, what do we try and get mom to say? We've been trying to get her to say, it's the bomb to be your mom, but it's not working. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So lifelike. Yes. I want my kids to know. I want them to know how much I love them. I want them to know how much that I'm glad to be their dad. And I love that they're wild to be my child. At least they say that. When they're good and when they're not good. I want them to know that. It's not just based on their performance because I don't ever want them to come to me and say, is it because of what I do or is it because of who I am? I want them to understand because it's, it's who they are that I love them unconditionally, the same way that God loves us. And I know that sometimes we blow it and I know that sometimes we speak things that uh, are not healthy to our children. Sometimes I, I think that the chief roadblock to family harmony is the road trip. Uh, I don't know, uh, sometimes, you know, we borrow those DVD players that you have in your car, and I always forget the headphones that go with those DVD players, so, you know, they attach to the headrest, and so right behind my head, as I'm driving, I've got the Lion King one and a half for six hours, and I'm like, you're really going to play that again, aren't you? Again, and again, and again, do you have to play that same song over and over and over? Would you please stop the, you're touching me game? Don't touch me. Touching me, right? You know, and we can get to a point where we say things to our children that in their eyes lowers their value because they don't maybe understand what the unconditional love is. And so you speak words when they are good and when they are not good, words of love, words of unconditional love. We tell our kids, nobody loves you more than mom and dad. And they say, except God, except God, and Jesus. And the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Nobody loves you that way. 
in good and bad. Speak the blessing of unconditional love over your children. And I would say this, speak the blessing of John 15 over your kids. John 15 is the passage where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And the reason that I love this passage is it speaks two things. One is it speaks that you're a part of something bigger and I want my kids to know that they are a part of something bigger. That it's not just about them, that the world doesn't revolve around them. That they should be attached to something that gives them life. And that that's Jesus. And that they have been chosen to bear fruit because John 15, 16 says, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And I want to pray the blessing of fruit over my children. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. I want to pray the Lord bless you with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I want to pray these things over my children.